I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Last time out, you heard our whinging, our whining, our irritations and our irrational vexations. But now there are whispers, mutterings and rumblings of football finally coming back. It's time to take stock of all the little things that we love about it. All the tiny sensations we took for granted all these years and all its beautiful quirks. Where better to do it than on this podcast? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Speaking of lovable quirks, I'm joined again by Charlie Eccleshare. How you doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, looking forward to looking on the bright side of life this time around. Mm. Um, we also have Sam Lee. Hello again. Hello. Making you did well last week, so we, oh, we've recalled you. So we, we, we can talk about the things we love about football this week, which, which feels a bit obvious, but... Um, as as listeners will soon find out, we're going to get very obscure and very tiny with our little loves. Remember, listeners, you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days. That's enough time to watch Escape to Victory 1,107 times in a row, with just enough time left to watch it again right up to the moment the match kicks off. You can do that by going to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Right, as I said, we're going to start with some pretty obvious things. The, the, the most obvious joy of all in football, which is, of course, outfield players going in goal, Sam. Um, how do you feel about that? Are you an outfield players going in goal man or are you a goal-scoring yeah, goalkeeper's man? Or can you just be oh. both? Oh, yeah. I think, classically, it's a little bit of both, Clive. Mm. <laughs> uh, but but the, the outfield players going in goal, it, it feels like now, you know, we talked about last week when it's 5-0 at half-time and you're thinking, get five in the second half as well. And it never happens. Yes. You're waiting for the outfield players in goal and you're just waiting for the team to go mad and just like mm. embarrass this guy. But it very <laughs> rarely happens. Like, and, and that's actually quite disappointing because by that point in the game, it hasn't descended into fast. But if it, you know, if an outfield player is going in goal, it's a bit like, okay, well, we might as well make the most of this and have something mad happen. But it very rarely does. Yeah, the appeal of an outfield player going in goal, Charlie, is, is probably more in the anticipation, isn't it? Um, it feels like it's all set up to be quite brilliant. And then I think I'm trying to think of, a, of an example where someone going, an outfield player going in goal really actually produced a, a series of, of clangers and heroic moments. To, it, for some reason, it feels like the, the defence goes into kind of protective mode and everything kind of shuts down a bit. Or maybe the other team get a little bit more respectful or something, but it never quite yeah. delivers, perhaps. They're not quite as exposed because it is one of the great joys when you watch like in other sports, um, you know, like in cricket, you'll have bowlers having to bat and occasionally um, batsman bowling. There's the the Alistair Cook uh, Mm. clips that are very funny because we're so just seeing sportsmen who are so, so good at one thing then having to do something they're really not comfortable with is hilarious. Um, Oh, completely. Because this is this is well drilled elite sport. And then finally seeing something kind of go out the window a little bit and it all looking a bit amateur despite it being at the very top level but that's the kind of dichotomy you you're presented with but um i guess there was harry kane going in golf for spurs what, was yeah. it in the europa it was in europe it was the same game i think i'm pretty sure that's right as lamella scored that rabona so it was a, yes. a very um eventful game for what felt like a pretty quiet 
Thursday night Europa League. Match. That is Europa League all over, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> classic Europa. But One we, thing you're guaranteed with outfield players going in goal, I think, is loads of saves with their feet, um, which is probably quite a good modern thing. Like, it's very De Gea-esque to, to, yeah. to kind of opt to use your feet. So in some ways, maybe it's a forward-thinking thing. Maybe they were they were years ahead of their time. It remind that that as well. The the, the goal scoring goalkeepers I saw yesterday uh, on Twitter or something. I think Sky linked to you know Premier League uh, goalkeepers scoring, and one of them yeah. it looked as though Schmeichel had scored. It looked like a consolation goal because he ran back, obviously wanting to go mad, but couldn't really. And that that's also. Um, a great joy is when players score amazing goals but can't celebrate because they're only I'm consolations. Pretty sure that's for Villa at yeah, Goodison against, Park. Yeah, it was. Everton. Yeah. And then did Everton score after that? No, that was the Brad Friedel else. one where oh, Friedel okay. scored and he does go mad celebrating an equaliser. And then I think Charlton scored the winner like a minute later. <laughs> yeah, also I thought I'd Charlton Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but also with, with that um, scoring really good consolation goals, for some reason, disproportionately, they feel as if they're often like smashed in almost in frustration. But yeah. there's one that Lasso scores for Chelsea against United. You know oh, when United were five 0 yes. up, and it's this gorgeous chip. Yeah, but he can't really celebrate it, and every part of it must be like, "Oh my god, I've just it scored such, a, such it's an incredible such a goal." Chip. I yeah. think there's a good theory. It just doesn't this. feel like a consolation goal. Yeah, there's a good theory behind this. I, I, I'm sure that there's a disproportionate uh, quality to to consolation goals, and it, it can only be a combination of the pressure being off. So that they're that they're not they're not panicking about what they're doing. It doesn't matter as much. And secondly, then they're obviously you know related. I suppose there's a, just an element of fuck it. I'm going to do what I want here. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah why I, is Graham Lasso trying that? Why exactly. Trying I just that? I it's can't see Lasso trying to chip Schmeichel uh, in a pivotal moment in an FA Cup tie, which is what it was. I just yeah. He just went. Oh, I'm going to do this by myself. And uh, maybe that's where good consolation goals are born it's just this element of well fuck it doesn't matter that's interesting it's like when players score when they're offside and finish so coolly <laughs> yeah. and it's strikers like a Nietzsche be or something it's like you would never finish that coolly normally but they're the whistle's gone they just like absolutely bury it mm. you know actually if I did have to choose I would say goal scoring goalkeepers because it's the anticipation isn't it obviously you know that an outfielder mm. going in goal you might have 15 20 minutes and it, it might be quite interesting but the anticipation <laughs> of, is he going to go up he is going up and then if it's a yeah. big game well, invariably it's really important but i think i remember i think buffon went up you know when italy was struggling against sweden to qualify for the world cup was it recently right oh yeah oh italy yes team. i do remember this. and it was yes. nil nil i think at the san siro i think buffon went up and i remember thinking if buffon scores this header it's town. Like there, there yeah. will be nothing better than this <laughs> in football <laughs> history. So just the anticipation of that, and obviously it very yeah, rarely happens. It's good enough yeah. when they get ahead on it and you think, oh, well, that was close. And then if it does, to me, happen, that's absolutely it's fine. Best. Yeah, to me, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I settle for that. I settle for that. And and it, 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 it in some ways, it's perfectly explicable that uh, you know a, a guy who's on average probably about six foot four is going to become suddenly the focal point of the attack. But the rate that goalkeepers tend to win headers from set pieces they've gone up for because it must be it must be a case of well I'm, I'm here now I might as well be the guy you aim for and but, but even if the corner isn't aimed towards them they kind of run towards it in a completely non-strategic kind of way <laughs> because they think well if I'm here I might as well try and get my head on it I, I, I think there was there was an example fairly recently I can't think I think it might have been Courtois who went up for a corner for Real Madrid or somebody it was very continental thinking but it 
he actually um he didn't actually go for the corner at all he he did like a dummy run and i thought wow this is a whole <laughs> level of goalkeeper it kind of ruins the romance of it. It, it it should be kind of rustic and and uh rough and ready but I, i'm not having these decoy runs from goalkeepers that's just nonsense but yeah but it's chaos isn't it whatever you do just yeah, having someone that yeah. big and, un, and and in the wrong kit it does yeah. just distract <laughs> yeah, you. it just looks strange yeah and and that's what it should do and clearly there's a sense of panic in the opposing defenses are like, what is this guy doing here we don't want to be a viral clip please don't let him score and that there must be there must be an element of that so yeah yeah i think there's there's space for both of these phenomenon in our lives no matter how rare they are that's actually a thing in the nba isn't it like a lot of players like i don't want to be on a poster so if you know you're (laughs) going to get dunked on you just get out of the way because you don't want to be that guy that's like looking up awkwardly (laughs) it's like michael jordan or kobe or whoever it is dunks on you like that i'm sure this i can absolutely see that with footballers yeah maybe these days footballers just must be in their back of their minds or somewhere in the middle of their minds i don't want to be a viral clip in the next six hours i mean you do not about want to be what's going to possibly happen to me or i don't want to you know 20 years ago it might be i don't want to be on the next danny baker video uh, and and this obviously this could this could apply to any football you know all the way down the pyramid because you know they would get footage from anywhere so hope i hope that drives footballers as a motivation to not be seen <laughs> as a figure of ridicule on social media in a, in a video i hope that is way um sticking to goalkeepers uh, a real thrill of mine is is a, a double or even a triple save because i feel like it's 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 a kind of escalating levels of excitement and what i really like is when when the whole flurry of saves is finished and we usually it's one point blank save and then another kind of smothering of the ball to finish and then something in between and, and i just really love the kind of succession of players who go out to them and ruffle their hair and then the stern look on the goalkeeper's face as they say, "Right now, we've got to carry on." Like, yeah, no, that's know, don't, what don't I love when the goalie kind of will scream at them, like, "We're not done yet! <laughs> like, the job's not over!" And like, tell them, like, "Don't you know? Don't don't make a big deal out of my amazing triple <laughs> save." Yeah, it's just, yeah, goalkeepers not celebrating properly after they've done something good. Um, yeah, I, I, I to, again, I understand why they do it. It's just to look serious and and not to fall victim to Schadenfreude or afterwards. But, um, but yeah, a double and triple save really gets really gets a crowd going and and. Moments like these is is where obviously the crowd noise participates in the whole spectacle sound because in isolation they're visually w- wonderful but you you need the kind of reaction to the crowd to provide this soundtrack to it so I feel like this is a very specific example of that. Yeah, because it's it's very rare that you get such a succession of sounds. I guess you know when mm. a player runs through on goal, you get that sound of you know everyone standing up and the seats closing behind yeah, them. And, you know, yeah, maybe a bit of a murmur and then either the celebration or a. Or disappointment or whatever, but with this, it's like oh, got and it's just backwards and forwards, a roller coaster of emotions, and it's going, you know, throughout the vast majority of the stadium. <laughs> so you're gonna hear it, and yeah, mm. you definitely, you definitely need that, that noise. I mean, you mentioned there the the goalkeeper's you know stern reaction. I remember mm. you mentioned that before about saving penalties, but the best example surely is Peter Schmeichel in '99 oh, yeah. against Arsenal. I think because Phil Neville gave the penalty away, and I think I think yeah. it was him, or it might have been David Beckham, or maybe both. Yeah, I think it was Phil Beckham Neville. actually. Okay. Neville, yeah. They ran up to him as if to say thank you for that. And oh yeah, like, they kind of bounced him off away. him, didn't they? Yeah, I, really I, don't even, that. I don't even know if it was bounced off, but he just like full on grabbed him with both hands. Yeah. And say, just, <laughs> go, you've already messed up once. Go and do your job properly. That is the best example because Schmeichel was livid. Yeah, I can totally understand that moment goalkeepers as we know are a uh, very precarious position so I, I feel like being known for giving it out at your defence and you, the odd clip you get of say like Grobbler grabbing McManaman by the neck and sort of throttling him um, I think uh, yeah it's, it's good to watch I, and, and I enjoy rare moments like that I mean this is this is a frequent going to be a frequent theme of this episode is, is 
rare moments that are so good because they are rare. And uh, another example of that would be indirect free kicks inside the box. Since 1992, which of course we established last week was the birth of football in almost every context, um, indirect free kicks have had a whole new lease of life uh, thanks to the back pass rule. Uh, but they're, they're still not quite that commonplace. And uh, they, to me, they kind of hit that sweet spot of rareness. And part of the appeal of an indirect free kick is that you have that build up when it's when everyone in the stadium understands what is about to happen, the kind of unorthodox decision that has been made. You then get this very kind of prolonged build up and anticipation of of what is about to happen. And then this defensive wall sort of teetering on the edge of their six yard box or perhaps even on the goal line. And then after that, everything is is, is brilliant, right? That um, indirect free kicks are wonderful, right, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, I do just think of that Shearer v. Georgia one. Because <laughs> oh. also, isn't Sharing runs onto it and kind of back heels it, in my mind? Yeah. It's like, he sort of like grazes studs over it in such like unnecessarily extravagant way. <laughs> and then just it's such a sharing of me thing to do. Like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Like a love boy and dummy. Sharing. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like his assist for Shearer's second against Holland, that like, yeah, that dummy pass. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. And also, because, yeah, as you say, it is the, un- the unusualness. And, and like, because isn't technically like obstruction in the box is an indirect free kick rather than a penalty? And that just I seems. I have no idea about obstruction. Really anymore. odd. I've been like, wrong if you're about obstruction by... for the last 25 years. And I yeah. still continue to be. I just don't understand it. But, but it is great. Yeah. And everyone, well, it's also uh, that anticipation of. Like, it, you say the anticipation once it's been given, but sometimes when there's a, a pass back or even a questionable pass back, you've got that. <laughs> that was a pass back. Is the ref going to bottle it? He has given it. And you've just yeah. got that anticipation of, oh God, I hope this is an indirect free kick inside the box. And then once he gives it, it's like, oh, here we go. I mean, I, I can't remember the last indirect free kick given for a back pass because who would do that now? I mean, yeah, I guess goalkeeper would pick it up was, in extremis. But I, yeah, I'm I trying just, to think. England, Holland, mm, in that Nations League final. I'm try- Maybe there wasn't, right. but I'm trying to think there was... Yeah. Something around that, but that's the thing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so rare, and, and also it's not quite the same as a penalty, is it? It's not like the attacking team no. isn't thinking, "Well, we really should be scoring here." The defending team yeah. is probably thinking, "Well, we can't let this go in." But you've also got the shambles of everyone just standing on the goal line, and the referee saying, "Do not stand there. You've got to stand there." And they're going, "Well, we can't go anywhere else." And it's just his whole pantomime for about yeah, two it's, minutes. It's better than a penalty because the odds are so stacked more fairly. I mean, um. Take an average indirect free kick in the box, like Shearer against Georgia in about 97, I think it was. What 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 kind of percentages are we talking here? I mean, I'd, I'd say it's probably 60-40 in favour of the defence that it's not going in because there are just so many players there. But yet, the expectation now is that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a goal. It's a bit like a, when you get two corners in succession. They're saying, right, that's it. That's it. We're all <laughs> over them. Something's going to happen there. But... It, it seems to me like the only the only method here is to absolutely pelt it after a very very small touch from whoever's setting it up. That's the only technique, right, Sam? Yeah, I don't think there's anything else you you can do. There's no time to do anything else. You've just got to <laughs> no. hit it, and you've got to hope that somebody, you know, either it deflects off somebody and goes in anyway, or they get out of the way of it, or you find a corner. But I don't think you can be too precise with it. Actually, you've just got to yeah. hit it. I, I kind of remember Ronaldo scoring one for United against Villa. God, more than 10 years oh, right. ago now, so it's not even a recent example. I don't mm. think his was that that powerful. I think he was more of a, a bit of bend on it, but you've yeah, yeah you've just got to... And it's like that Shearer one, especially for like a generation of, you know, English people or Premier League fans growing up, that's kind of the blueprint. It's like, well, that's what mm. works, so we're just going to stick with yeah. it. I just, I feel like um, 
the the likelihood of scoring and and the advantageous position of it, Charlie, is is matched also by the motivation for the defensive team to block it. Like, have you seen a defence more pumped up for doing something than <laughs> when they have an indirect free kick? And I'm never sure if it's better to have the goalie in front or the goalie behind. I feel like I love it when the goalie takes charge and says, right, you guys stay back there and I'm going to go in front and try and block it first. But the roar that you hear after someone blocks an indirect—it's up there with penalty-saving kind of heroics. I feel it's—it's—it's it's, it's a wonderful moment, and it—and it—and it's just as good as if one goes in. I think. Yeah. Oh, that satisfaction is—is is quite something. <laughs> again, that's a good excuse to then look hard and be like, "Don't make a big deal yeah. out of my block, like dead out, boys." <laughs> I can imagine the scenario in Sunday League. I mean, I, again, I can't remember the last indirect free kick that. Well, that's the last one suffered. I can think of is from Sunday mm. League because oh, I guess really? it would make more sense that someone would have that kind of. Rush of blood, Someone who or doesn't sort of, know the rules because they're 60 yeah, or years just old or, something. or just switching off from what they're going to be doing. <laughs> Goldman scrambles, I feel, are kind of a dying art in football. We're all getting very refined these days. I mean, I, I can't remember a proper blood and guts goldmouth scramble at the very top level in, in the Premier League or Champions League for a long, long time. But there are some vital ingredients to a goldmouth scramble, Sam. I feel like you need at least one heroic flying block. You do need an element of woodwork action going on. And you need at least some defensive calamity, sort of an attempted clearance that goes desperately wrong. And also, I feel like it's also important to have someone just standing on the post watching it all unfold. Because the man on the post phenomenon is really strange over the years, especially at corners where, where fullbacks feel like all they need to do is just lean on the post and then just watch everything happen. And they're not actually doing anything. So that's also an ingredient of the goal scramble. That fullback on the post thing with the goal mask scramble, it's a bit like walking out in front of a bus and just standing still. When you know that's not what you're supposed to do, but you're just yeah. watching everything unfold, going, well, there's nothing I can possibly do now. I might as well just see what happens. I've just never and, understood why they actually physically lean on the post. What are you doing? Yeah, that's like, really it's, like, that you don't really have to put your like, arm next to it and lean against it. Actually so be on your happen. toes. Wasn't Kieran Dye like the nadir of that for Newcastle when he's sort of just leaning really casually <laughs> yeah, on the post and the ball just trickles past him at the Surely that's unforgivable. What are you doing? It's not just enough to stand there. You're right. I can't remember I can't remember a single specific example. Obviously we've all seen hundreds, but I can't remember a single specific yes. example. Certainly not recently, but it's more like one of those viral videos, you know, you wake up on mm. one normal Tuesday and this is what's happened overnight in Australia, or this is what happened last <laughs> night in, in the Copa Libertadores. And yeah. you do need all of those examples because it's like after like the fourth shot has come back, you think surely now, and, oh no, he's he's at the post again, and they're yeah. the best ones because there's yeah there's four or five six shots that have somehow contrived to go in. Yeah. Well, this is and like no, those accounts are those crap nineties football and stuff, which mm. like these yeah. videos are they are brilliant to watch. They're on a yeah. muddy pitch and people are sliding along, and it's like a, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, but they are just they're so fun to watch. And I'd never get desensitized to a goal scramble. I mean, after I've watched the yet another kind of bicycle kick from South America from last week or something. I just think, yeah, I'm over bicycle kicks now, but I don't think I'll ever be over a goal scramble. Perhaps it is because they're dying out a bit. Because every time you watch one, even if you've seen it a hundred times, there's always one more twist in it than you would expect. It's like um, it's like a really good crime drama. And, it, and I, just, I, just, I just really like them because it's it's just pure, pure, I don't know, no, no, just urging the ball in, but no, no kind of technical skill involved. Um, it's a bit like just... the crowd reaction as well, isn't it, to the triple save? Mm. Yeah, because it's just ecstasy to agony and what, and then just repeated four or five times. Yeah, this just undulating crowd noise of maybe, maybe not. Uh, yeah, um, and then of course, if you if you don't concede, which I think is the which I think is the favourable result of a goal match cup, I don't think it should result in a goal. I don't. I honestly don't think so. I don't think it should have a kind of glorious crescendo. I think it should end in a kind of stalemate because that's the whole point of goal match scrambles. And of course. 
And, and Charlie, you muted this before the episode as, as one of the underrated feelings of being a football fan, which is sheer relief. As you put it, um, the feeling of clinging onto a lead and then at the right at the end, the opposition has a free kick in a dangerous position. And that is that is the real breaking point, the real testing point for a fan's emotional state, right? Yeah, it's just so nerve-wracking when it's like, you know, a really good set-piece taker lining up a free kick for what feels like forever. And you're just like, please, please. What kind please, of position are we talking anything. about? Are you talking about a cross from the, from, from the sides mm. or like a direct free kick? I feel like Either. the, the it- former is worse. Yeah, like an maybe swinging free kick from the wings. So, yeah, oh, this could be horrendous. There's Even so the much. It but... makes me a bit scared. Yeah, <laughs> whereas direct free kicks, I... you, in your head, you're going percentage wise, we're probably all right here. No, no. Oh, but even that. if you know that, you're still just. I'm just saying, like they're yeah. going to score. Of course, they're going to score. <laughs> like, you know, just hoping that will reverse. And, and obviously, it's always a specialist. Like it's always exactly Thierry Henry or Christian Eriksen or Ronaldo or yeah. whoever. Like even if the, yeah. even if you know they haven't got a great record, you're just thinking, well, he's definitely going to pick his moment now. Do you know what scarred then, me on this as well? Actually, is, is like one in my one of my early years of going to football. Matt Letizia had one of these, and I was just <laughs> like, "Please don't score! Please don't score!" And then in my head, I was like, "You know, I bet he won't. Like, they probably don't score that often." And he did <laughs> score. And after that, I was like, "Never let yourself do that." Oh like, God! Your fault. <laughs> you oh, you double bluffed yourself. But, oh exactly. God, you made you made it incredibly hard for yourself there. But yeah, so I can't but, do that ever again. But yeah, the the moment of release and relief when when that free kick is, you know, 65% of the time flies over the bar or something like that. And I do feel like it is a genuinely underrated emotion in football. We talk about hatred, we talk about schadenfreude, we talk about unbridled joy and all those obvious things in football. But the relief of something that you don't want to happen, not happening in football, is is what drives me. I think it primarily drives me as a football fan. It's, it's to that moment of peril and then that moment of release. And when those two things come together, that is that's pure football to me. That that's that's what motivates me to go back and watch again. And 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 it just yeah, that's all. It's I incredible. Want. You know, you know, like those games where you're like one nil up at half time against us, and you, and you've been re- reasonably comfortable, you know, throughout the game. But you're playing a good mm. side, and you know yeah. they're going to come at you in that second half. Mm. And it's just this mm. build and build and build that whatever happens, unless you score that second you know you are there's going to be the last 10 minutes and it's going to be absolute torment and if you can get through that it is just yeah it's unbelievable indescribably good the ultimate is the final whistle on a, on a game like that when you're so when you're so tense so maybe the ball has gone out you know Henri's put his free kick into the crowd you got the goal kick and that relief yeah. is great but then the goalkeeper takes the goal kick and the game's over because i think this is actually a really good football cliche people always say <laughs> Oh, you know, and that was and that was celebrated as much as a goal. Nothing is right. ever ever celebrated as much of a goal. No, like, no, no. A bloke being taken off, the referee falling over, whatever. It's not the same. Mm. Even even the final whistle celebration isn't the same. That is as close as you're going to get when you just know it's all over. That is the best. That is the best example of relief. I, and I suppose I, a kind of rabbit hole here is when <laughs> you think. The referee's blown a foot, his final whistle, but he hasn't. And he's got his hand in the air and he's actually saying it's a free kick here. I would never, I would never make that mistake. Uh, I'm way too vigilant. Uh, yeah, it, re- it really annoys tension. me. The commentators yeah. think it's over as well. It's like, no, it isn't over. Yeah. How could you possibly be that stupid? Uh, pay attention. But I also think that the, the joy of a final whistle in that context, it would be enhanced by referees not doing it at goal kicks and sort of moments. I, and I understand why, again, why they do it, but I, I, I want it blown at a natural moment at the time where at the time actually runs out. None of this kind of waiting for the goalkeeper to kind of wind up for a goal kick while fans obviously know that a final whistle is about to happen. No, do it unexpectedly. I can, I, 
I'm a serious advocate of this. I don't think it would damage games. I don't think you would have pitch invasions on the back of it. I think we should just, the referee should blow his whistle as soon as the time runs out. Yeah, and they've made so many changes to football recently, just minor changes that you think, actually, mm. yeah, that kind of works. Like the kickoff yeah. rule. It's like, well, they, mm. they didn't actually need the second yeah. person there if you're going to pass the ball back anyway. So fine, mm. uh, that made sense. So it's kind of like, well, it actually makes sense. If the time's up yeah. and the ball's in the crowd, blow the whistle now, get on with it. Yeah, completely agree. Harry's sponsors Football Clichés, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. As a listener of Football Clichés, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash football cliches right now. That's harrys.com forward slash football cliches. On to rather more niche matters now. Uh, Charlie, if I direct you towards the Wikipedia page for association football, you're presented mm. with what looks like a rather generic image. It looks like it you know, could have been created purely for the purposes of, of that Wikipedia page. But one rather bored afternoon, I, uh, I endeavoured to find out just what was who was in that photo and what match it was. So um, any clues, any ideas? I think I remember this happening actually. Um, <laughs> I'd say from that goal, that goalie kit looks to me like the kind of World Cup '94 uh, mm-hmm. model. So I'd say it must be from around then. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, it is so it's so brilliantly generic, but it looks like the it level. Really the it looks kind of just below pro level, maybe. Yeah. Well, I, my motivation here is I wanted to know the name of the guy who who is who is deemed to be representative of football in in the most generic, general possible, widest sense there was, and um, so I delved into it. I, I went into the innards of this photo, the file name, and all this sort of thing, and I found out it was the photo was taken in Bloomington, Indiana, in 1996. So I thought well, it looks a bit like a US college game. So I went and checked the squads for um, uh, Indiana. Indiana soccer team in 1996 and then had to cross-reference it with pictures of players wearing their squad numbers and uh, it all came down to one guy called Chris Klein who shares his name with the lead actor of some of the um, sort of sugar sweet high school films of the uh, late 90s early 2000s uh, so it's Chris Klein US international wow because mm. and so he's the number ten having the shot. Yeah, he's a, yeah. But uh, I I was yet to find out, or, or simply could not find out if that shot ever went in. Well, I, mm. but it looks to me like he's dragging it wide. It's a tough which, angle. Yeah, which to me is perfectly re- representative of of the generic football experience. Just a presentable mm. chance being being squandered. That was the torturous introduction to the next section of this podcast, which is us talking about football on Wikipedia, which I think pound for pound is the best football writing out there, Sam. Oh, good Lord. Um, you've really sprung this on me. I knew we were talking about Wikipedia anyway, but to frame it like that, wow. Um, it's not well, even I behind suppose, a paywall either. It's very, it's very raw. No, certainly not. No no free trials for Wikipedia. Although they want but, your money these days, don't they? Oh, yeah, they're always begging for it, aren't yeah. they? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just really glad for their existence. But what I really appreciate, Charlie, about fo- football and Wikipedia is it's the style in which it's written. And, 
you can go to some very obscure pages about some very very specific things and it will all be presented to you in very matter of fact style and 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 that's probably quite hard to write. And I'll take you to example for the Wikipedia page for doing a leads, which we all, which we all understand as a, as a concept. But we would never, we would never kind of forensically analyze it. We, we would, we would just throw it into conversation. But of course, Wikipedia can't do that. It has to, it has to dedicate hundreds of, and often thousands of words to to a concept. So you have the concept of doing a lead, which is really forensically explained with the use of graphs and all sorts of things. <laughs> and. Uh, do you enjoy it? I I feel like Wikipedia style is 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 a really lovely way to consume my football knowledge. Yeah, it's really good. And also, we were talking about this, weren't it? That it is done just it does it, it it's never written as if it's like trying to get laughs or anything. It's completely deadpan, which in itself <laughs> yeah. is really funny because it's talking about comical things as if it's mm. describing like NATO or something actually that's really serious. It's a totally consistent tone across the board. Well, there's one very extreme example. Um, why this even deserves its own Wikipedia page, I've got no idea. But um, there is a Wikipedia page for last minute goal, which to me probably only needs a couple of lines, maybe an <laughs> example or two, just to really ram home exactly what a goal scored in the last minute could possibly be. But once upon a time, the Wikipedia page for Last Minute Goal, it now consists of 13,134 words and it used to be nearly 17,000. So that's more than a university dissertation to illustrate <laughs> what a last minute goal is. I just, it's, this is taking Wikipedia to an almost comical extreme. Yeah, this um, is too forensic as well, isn't it? I'm, look, I'm, domestic league, the domestic league example, 1996, <laughs> 97, extra class at Legion Warsaw versus God. Just how many examples do we need but before we go? Do you know you what? Need I think I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I understand the concept of a last-minute goal. Um, there's also 4,800 words, Sam, for the concept of yo-yo club. It's a, I mean, this is. I mean, there's a man who never, ever meets... Well, never keeps under a word count and once filed 8,000 words on a oh, Stephen yeah. Island interview. That yeah. is too much. Even with, <laughs> even with that said, that is too much. What are, what are these people doing? Liverpool's Spice Boys who were of course the the team of the of the mid 90s who were full of individual talents but couldn't quite bring it all together uh, has been turned into this kind of all encompassing concept um the wikipedia page for spice boys is is now a very modest length and it, it describes things in a matter of fact state but uh, it was once eight and a half thousand words and i'm convinced it's someone genuinely did a dissertation on the spice boys and just thought Do you know what i'm just going to turn this into the wikipedia page and then sometime between then and now, uh, one of the Wikipedia fun police um, wrote, this requires a major edit. There are severe issues <laughs> with length, content and neutrality. Wow. Uh, but it was just such a shame because it, it, was, it, was, it, it really dealt, it delved into the kind of cultural significance of the Spice Boys and it brought in the Spice Girls and it, and it, and it, just, it just had a whole kind of lovely mid-90s theme to it. There were subsections such as 2.2, vandalism, humour, pranks and orgies. And this this wasn't Cy Hughes's athletic article. Copy pasted. <laughs> no, no, no. This, uh, maybe maybe it was his uni dissertation. Who knows? Um, but I don't think there's a subsection I want to read more than two point two vandalism, humour, pranks, and orgies. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm glad that they all exist under one umbrella term as well. Um, <laughs> speaking of subsections, I, I, I realise you guys are really getting into this now. Speaking of Wikipedia footballing subsections, um, group of death debates and definitions. Um, goes on to 1,264 words, which I guess is kind of fair enough because group of death is quite hard to define, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah, that that feels a more um, sort of 
appropriate length i mean i'm sure again like sam i'm someone who always uh writes more than i need to but um yeah that that because and also there are some quite fun examples of that my yeah. mind goes to the 2002 world cup uh the group mm. england uh nigeria argentina and sweden is kind of what comes to mind for me i don't yeah. know what your guys favorite group of death is we've all got one <laughs> um well i mean i mean there's a long debate about whether the 1982 second round group stage that consisted of Argentina, Italy and Brazil counts as a group of death. Uh, the purists don't like it. The purists say, no, you can't have that. It's mm. got to be at least four teams and it's got to be in the traditional World Cup format, whereas that was the second round. So, yeah, there's there's a huge kind of community that, that debate this sort of thing. So maybe, yeah, it's good to have this level of of um, of kind of pedantry when it comes to this sort of thing. The thing with groups of death, though, is... It's always like there are three teams, and then it's like, oh yeah, in Australia. Because I was, I was thinking from the World no. Cup when Spain got no, knocked out. No, 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 come no. on. Spain, no. Chile, Holland, and Australia. They're all right, but the fourth team is always kind of like, oh yeah, okay, they're not as no, good as the rest. I, again, I wouldn't accept that into the the canon of groups of death. What you really? want from that? What you what is allowable from that fourth team is to be a team who will once okay or probably sort of world cup regulars but are no now longer a threat and hence they're seeding so you need three big names whether they're good or not nowadays plus a team who are of reasonable vintage and i wouldn't accept australia necessarily into that into that category i was just going to say in terms of groups of death you always people just allow the first three and then well, the last wrong. one is like oh okay Oh. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, this is, this, is up, this is up to you the, to decide. This is one of the debates probably. Words. Yeah, this will be raging in, in that section. There was a period, of course, as well, with the when the Euros were so good and the concentration of quality was such that you could all the groups felt very strong and you might have more than one group of death. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at Euro 96, for example. They're pretty much all pretty deathly looking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it is, whilst it is a very important thing to get right, the qualification for being a group of death on an individual team basis is actually quite vague. You just had to be quite good once, and that was it, and, and to be of reasonable standing ever since. Uh, Sam, here's a subsection for you. Um, what what Wikipedia page do you think this subsection belongs to? English people who have been murked. <laughs> well, murked can only be <laughs> can only be Rio Ferdinand's World Cup windups. Of course. Um, I mean, there must be a, a whole strata of society who don't know where the word murked came from, or at least or at least where it reached sort of mainstream popularity. And of course, it was Rio's World Cup wind-ups, a programme I don't particularly remember. I think I've only ever consumed it via Wikipedia. Yeah, I don't um, think I actually watched it. But English people who have been murked, when I, that that um, makes you think that there it could be all sorts of people from politicians yeah. to members of the public. The well, list is this, a bit narrower than that. Well, we should we, we should we should clarify that if you delve into the history of this Wikipedia page, this editing revision history, it used to be footballers who have been murked, and now it's simply English people. I don't know but why, why that when they're all football, why when they're they're all English footballers. Yeah, let's 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 um let's just remind people of some of these examples of murkings. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips. Uh, Wright Phillips accidentally gets a waiter fired. Uh, John Terry was supposed to be the victim, but he found out after seeing the message in his wife's mobile phone explaining the prank. Terry then found <laughs> Wright Phillips as a substitute. The Beckham murking sounds really rubbish. Beckham is picked up by a driver that takes a detour to make him late for his meeting. That doesn't sound like a murking. I don't consider that a murking. That's just one of those where it's like you're putting somebody who's supposed to be really nice into a situation where you're really pissing them off yeah. and you've got to see if they break. And David yeah. Beckham is probably the best person to do that to. 
This does sound like a murking. David James goes to an art gallery and he is accused of breaking a piece of artwork made <laughs> by a French artist. Um, maybe it's sort of the Calamity James angle that really kind of lends it a real sort of twist yeah. the knife there. But yeah, um, but it's just, it's just a wonderful, just a, and again, it, it really keys into this kind of Wikipedia matter of factness. You know, that is the only logical way you could describe that subsection, and yet it is wonderfully brilliant and silly. Um, so there you go. So, so is the second subsection, by the way. Were you, are you ready to read that out or shall I? Go for it. Be- because the second one is, and this sounds slightly sinister, accomplices. <laughs> <laughs> Colin McLaughlin, yeah, it brackets, Wayne Rooney's girlfriend and now his wife knew about prank. <laughs> Ryan Giggs in the Gary Neville prank. John Terry gets Sean Wright Phillips involved. Robbie Fowler in the Peter Crouch prank. But what really is the kind of uh, the unifying appeal of football Wikipedia is is um, the career summaries of certain players, especially journeyman sort of strikers. I, I'm just I'm obsessed, I, and I think it's the purest football quiz of all is when you present someone with a career summary of a player, and then ask them to to name that player, because some people's careers are just so odd so weird um take former cameroon international patrick sufo for example whose career list reads as follows barcelona b nantes sheffield united numancia al hilal coventry city dubai club odd grenland maccabee petatikva ashdod puertiano wrexham alvis and then coventry united that is an incredible list that is there's there's not even anything really there that makes sense apart from being out at al hilal and then going back after Coventry. But that's about as... And as his love of Coventry. Gets. Well, I mean, who wouldn't? I'm going to play you a clip now, which which sums up a a dear love of mine, which is local radio commentary for famous goals. So um, the, the commentary for someone who had a rather more vested interest in this goal being scored. And I feel like this is the purest commentary joy. I, you can have performative commentary joy, and I won't mention any names here, but, you know... You, you, maybe like the Icelandic commentators from the World Cup or something like that, which 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 was fun at the time, and then a kind of novelty wears thin. But but this is genuine, authentic glee, isn't it? I offer you Exhibit A. Two minutes to play. Here's the ball hanging on the Tizier in the box. The Tizier left for Sunday. What a goal! That was uh, Letitia scoring the last ever goal at the Dell for Southampton, where he he climbed off the bench kind of half fit and scored an incredible, well, really just a lovely half volley against Arsenal. Yeah, it was left-footed, uh, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and of course, th- th- there was obviously no one better to, to score that goal, um, to, to bid them farewell from the Dell. And I just, I just, I love that commentary. And I, I appreciate it's probably not for everyone because it's all a bit excitable. And, and there's probably... Uh, criticism of professionalism going on there but it's just fucking brilliant isn't it it's really bloody great to listen to for anybody i, 
I was actually expecting to hate it but for those reasons. Right. Just because, mm. but a lot of them are just nonsense, aren't they? A lot of them yeah. are just noises, and it's like, oh, listen to these blokes who've been following the team for fifty years; they go mad. Yeah. But that was actually good. That was good commentary. Like, he, it was actually quite informative. There's a lot and of he, flow to uh, it. As much, yeah, and as as much, he didn't stumble on his words like like I do now. You know, and he's <laughs> really, really happy, and he's going for it. And there's a lot of emotion in there, but he's actually delivering it quite well. I would actually say that's probably one of the better ones because yeah, yeah. a lot of them are just like, oh, I mean, listen to this bloke going mad. It's like, yeah, I'm not really bothered. Another example, I, I offer you uh, Derek Lacey, who is the BBC Radio Cumbria commentator, and this is him commentating on Jimmy Glass's goal for Carlisle in 1999. The ball now is out for a corner kick now to Carlisle United. Will they have time to take it? Referee looks at his watch and up goes Jimmy Glass. Carlisle United Jimmy. Jimmy Glass. Everybody, there is not one player in the Carlisle United half. The, set, the corner kick comes in. Oh, the goalkeeper's pass. Jimmy, Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass has <laughs> Jimmy Glass. Jimmy Glass, the goalkeeper, has scored a goal for Carlisle United. Oh. That's fine. I was getting goosebumps with that. That is fantastic as well. That is great. And, and he sounds like such a Derek. And it, and it, and it should be a guy called Derek, who, who's the BBC <laughs> local radio um, Absolutely. commentator for Carlisle. And I just, you can kind of appreciate him getting lost in the moment and yet just about getting the words out. And then I love his co-commentator piping up. Co-commentators who just pipe up almost unannounced and uninvited are always fun and I, I feel like that has every element I'd want for my local radio commentator because if I'm sat at home listening a ra- on radio in Carlisle in 1999 um, I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna that's just gonna flow through my veins that commentary that is it's just beautiful well that call kept them up didn't it yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Last, like, basically, last kick of the season kept them up. That is a proper yeah. like football fairy tale. That if that goal is not on the last minute Wikipedia page, <laughs> last minute goals Wikipedia page, then know. they might as well scrap the whole thing. Assume it was last minute. Yeah, and links yeah, back exactly. to scoring goalkeepers. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash cliches and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of The Athletic Podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash cliches to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Football Cliches listeners get two extra free beers. I'm going to move on to some more obscure football fetishes. They're really kind of really niche things that get people going. Uh, let's do a little quick fire, a little run through, shall we? I offer you a shot hitting a camera stroke microphone stroke drinks bottle. Although I'd say the, the camera in the top corner is probably the holy grail here. Yeah, that list went downhill, not quickly, but noticeably. Oh. 
<laughs> no, the, the, the water bottle thing's cool, but yeah, when it's it hits the camera, that's of, the best. Hierarchy yeah, of sensations. Hierarchy, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the Athletics' Jack Lang says, after four or five replays, you finally get shown that one camera angle from right behind the shot where it sort of careers towards, the ball careering towards this kind of top corner camera. I mean, that's just that's just a genuine thrill. It's, it's an aesthetic treat. That's why you get the ooh inside the stadium, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yes, yeah, so that kind of, kind of follow-up ooh that... Uh, for once, people on TV not aren't quite sure what they're ooing at, but people in the stadium have it all to themselves. That's always quite nice. And sometimes, sometimes even the players on the pitch stop to watch the replay. I saw that De Bruyne scored against Swansea a few years ago, yeah. and even the players stopped to watch it on the big screen, and then they carried on. That's yeah, that's, that's really nice. cool. I like that. Yeah, when microphones really get involved is uh, when a frustrated player sort of kicks a boom mic at the side of the pitch, and you just you hear the thump of them kicking it. Other things, uh, the clock hitting a hundred minutes. Yeah. Although nice. I, I, I suppose the caveat there is that it only, it's only ever happened after something fairly serious has happened to a player, so I probably shouldn't celebrate it quite as much. We're talking about oh, there was that Arsenal Liverpool game, just... wasn't there? Where there was loads of penalties in injury mm. time. That was great. Okay, well, not loads. But okay, so the hundred minutes really occurring good. just through there sheer two, ineptitude. Yeah. And then Dargley's yeah. told Wenger to piss off afterwards. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Fantastic that was great. Scenes. Yeah, that, that was, was a great, great. game because I don't think much yeah. happened for like ninety minutes, and then ninety to hundred was fantastic. Well, it was one of those as well because Van Persie scored a penalty and Martin Tyler's commentary is like, Arsenal are back in the title race and then they concede a penalty. And that's like, yeah, I think 97th or something and they don't win the game. Oh, and uh, it was like a handball, the stupid handball from somebody uh, no, in the a wall Bouet, from a free a kick, Bouet, I think a Bouet oh. shoves Koi uh, over. Yeah. Or like yeah, it's sorry, one of those like, completely yeah. unnecessary ones. Yeah, running away from the goal, like don't foul yeah. him as we kind of mentioned last Ex- week. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. God, this is all linking back. Really, We're not doing the watch along. This is supposed to be this is supposed to be quick fire, but I thought anyway. it was handball in the wall. Was that not for maybe that no. was No, I think you're thinking of Fabregas against in that same season against Spurs. I, I also offer you really really short players, like properly short ones. <laughs> Who we're not? If if I said to you, if I asked you to suggest an extremely short footballer, who would you come up with? Janine. Janinho. Yes. Because really? on Janino, Dylan Skinner, they did an impression of him, and they, they like they walked in on their knees with their boots on their knees. I can't remember if it was Badil or oh. Skinner, but that was the impression of Janino. That was Janino, I think, was five five, and I remember liking him so much as a player. I said to my mum, "I want to be five five and I'm old. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> strange ambition. Strange. Yeah, exactly. I'm more of I'm a not, Jose Dominguez kind of guy. He yeah, was he was. He was tiny. Yeah, I think he was five yeah. three. I've just got a real, a real thing for low centres of gravity. I, I feel like that's that's the sort of player that really appeals to people more. I feel like it's just more aesthetically pleasing to see a sort of player turn on a sixpence and and dig the ball out and and just sort of you know scuttle around rather than rangy, leggy midfielders covering ground. Uh, Valbueno, of course, um, he's I think he's five three. Five, oh yeah, there's that. Who was he up against? Who was the picture? Was it Fellaini or something? He, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's Fellaini, isn't it? Yeah. So there's a picture of them. In it's like it's an optical illusion. Maybe it is. Yeah, I just yeah, I just really like short players, particularly short defenders. Franco Baresi, Fabio Cannavaro, Daniel Passarella. He was five eight. Ivan Cordoba, and of course Chris Perry. Mm. Is was that Chris like? Perry? Are you doing that, that deadpan Wikipedia thing where you name? Fantastic, no, yeah. world renowned yeah, yeah. and Chris Perry. For me, for me, uh, I'm I'm sure Chris Perry was the was the byword for for defenders who had a good leap on them in the mid nineties. He was the, he was the guy you would always go to as, as being an example of someone who had a good leap. Chris Perry, and and I just believe that's he interesting because I remember him because he wasn't tall enough. I remember him being described as like a good reader of the game. 
Yeah. Which I guess again you you kind of need to be if you're if you're uh, if you're that sort of height as a centre back. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to make up for it somehow. Yeah. I get. Yeah. She, not being tall enough is the same as not being quick enough. You, you obviously. Yeah. I mean the extra inches in his head. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's that. Also, footballers who don't look like footballers. Uh, if can you think of any examples of players who just don't look like they should play football for any reason? I mean, there are the non-athletic types like Mickey Quinn, who you watch and you're kind of like, <laughs> I, I can't believe he was a top-flight footballer. He was uh, really quick it, as well. Like he completely defined his physique. He was really fast off the mark. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was the it, cash. But, but yeah, he just doesn't. Uh, <laughs> especially nowadays when they're all so lean and lithe, it's mm. like he he doesn't really fit that mold. Sam, any examples? I mean, I mean, maybe he does look like a footballer, but the one that came to mind was Shalotto uh, at Brighton. He's a proper kind of oh, throwback. Right. With kind of, right, you know, yeah. more, certainly looks more of a pirate than he does a footballer. Yeah, he's got sort of, <laughs> sort of messiah look to him as well. Yeah, with the long, with the long hair. Yeah, really. He looks like the really Turin Shroud, actually, now I think about it. I also offer you former Leicester and Oldham defender and striker Ian Marshall. He, he also has one of the yeah that's a great shot. He has one of the greatest haircuts as well in that kind of yeah. early Premier League era. That massive long, sort of permy mullet, permed mullet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. He, he was always he a was... swap in the sticker albums as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lumbering defender stroke striker who's equally comfortable in in both roles, and he he was playing as sort of late as into the sort of early two thousands, I think. But he he played um he played for Leicester in the uh, UEFA Cup against Atletico Madrid, and I think he, I'm pretty sure he opened the scoring at the Calderon. Yes, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. So this this massive bloke who looks like a plumber with his socks rolled <laughs> down, sort of swivelling in the area, and and I, I I he either scored the opening goal or an equaliser or something, surrounded by sort of the likes of Janino and, and and all sorts, and he just looks so out of place, and I just I just. I, there's also, I mean, it seems like an easy road to go down here, but sort of massive men who don't look like they should fit in modern football. Um, John Parkin, the beast, and and this, I'm, I'm not casting doubt on his footballing ability at all. I, if anything, I'm 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 bigging him up because he looks like someone who shouldn't be good at football and shouldn't be equipped to deal with the the kind of stresses and strains of modern football. And yet he was actually technically quite good. And um, I just, I, it's nice that. You know, in 2020, when everyone just looks like an Olympic decathlete, that there is still just about an opportunity for someone who doesn't look like they should be able to play football, playing football. Uh, here's some uh, listener contributions for some obscure football fetishes. Joe Patch, this is a good one. A slide tackle in which a defending player simultaneously wins the ball, keeps it in play, stands up and sets off in the other direction. So they kind of hook it as yeah. well as winning the ball. That must be really that, satisfying to do. That's lovely. Though. Yeah. I love that. Wasn't there a Liverpool goal from the 80s, I think, that's been shown recently that had a bit of virality where someone keeps it... It's like, it oh shows how intense they keep it in and then they somehow Steve score McMahon. from... Yeah, that's it. So the ball's kind of half cleared and it's going out for his own throw-in. It's against Arsenal, I think, at Anfield. And he, he sprints over, keeps the ball in the play with the sole of his foot carries off off the pitch, pushes himself in one movement off the advertising board to hurl himself back on and then and then evades this sh- massive sliding challenge and then eventually dribbles into the box and scores a goal. And and there's there is no there is just no more visceral piece of, of footballing will than, than than that. It's really worth looking out. So yeah, I think that's equally satisfying as the hooked slide tackle. Um Ed Quotha Raven says, outfield players taking goal kicks is always fun. Now, 
we can take out the always fun aspect of that because I'm not sure that's entirely true. But just I guess it's it's very specifically Sunday leaguey thing, isn't it? Mm. Outfield players who can go kicks because oh yeah, it's part of the course. I don't think they appreciate how the technique involved in lumping a ball up the pitch. Hmm. I used to Um, I used to do it regularly. We had like for various teams just because I think I could kick it further than most people, which I can't do now, mm, ironically. Mm. But we had a goalkeeper who he was a Polish guy called Ted. And he was amazing. He was like, honestly, like for Sunday League, the reflexes mm. on him were incredible. And he just made so many ridiculous saves that he just shouldn't be making at that level. But he could not kick. He could not get it off the ground. <laughs> he, could, he couldn't even do it out of his hands, really. <laughs> so, and that was, so it was just really weird. And like, obviously, if he could do that, then he probably would have been able to you know, make a bit of a living out of it, you know, get paid 20 quid on a Saturday or something. If but, your Sunday yeah. League goalkeeper can take goal kicks, that's like deluxe. That's like, it's yeah. like a a car with power steering or sort of leather seats. (laughs) Like, yeah, this is an added bonus. Um, Yeah, can actually has a ping on him is very rare. Yeah, but it's it's, it's really hard taking goal kicks. People underestimate um, in in a Sunday league context how hard it is to get the ball over the halfway line and people sort of sprint up to the ball and absolutely hammer it. But what you really need to do is give it a good contact and just sort of float it out. Because trust me, the harder you try it, a goal kick, the worse it will be. <laughs> yeah, and, and then if you get it wrong, really obviously, and they're coming back at you, then it's just oh, it's just the worst. Awful, like, awful, and we're not we're not doubt to we're not built to like, deal with that pressure of no, costing your team a goal. Like, a, a pro might be able to shrug it off eventually, but oh dear. Okay, not, so not we all agree that we enjoy that, but with caveats. Um, goal scorer challenge says foreign players growing up in England and then developing hybrid accents is really enjoyable. Um, he suggests that Jeremy Aladier is his all-time favourite. Now, I don't think I've heard him speak. How does he sound? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember him so much. I mean, I think of Hector Bellerin as one of yeah, but I would have my favourites of that. It must have been it's the same su- phenomenon. This, co- yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think as well because like Bellerin uh, lived in Digs, and so he he kind of it sounds like he learned English so well. He's almost learned English too well that he's kind of <laughs> um, he's embodied the language of those who moved in with it the first time. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a great hybrid. Uh, but I don't know. Our idea was maybe the same. I feel like this phenomenon particularly affects Scandinavians. I don't know why. Yeah. But historically, Scandinavians who've come to English football and, and presumably already have a decent mastering of English anyway. Um, maybe it's just, uh, maybe it's because their assorted accents are all blank canvases. They're easily malleable. But someone like Jan Mulby, who was basically Scouse within seconds of arriving at, at Liverpool, they just all take on their regional accents really quickly. And... Um, I always really like that. I, I, it feels like yeah. they've really made a connection with where they move to once they really pick up the accent. It's really nice. Hitzelsberger really was that- good because like German and Brummie shouldn't mix, but it, it was great. It was a real joy when you when you first heard that. It was like, oh my God, who, nobody speaks like that. <laughs> Let alone you didn't Brian expect Laudrup him to sound actually, like it. Yeah, I think Brian Ladrup developed a Scottish twang as well, which which is just a really nice little um, addition to, to his his appeal there was that nice Roberto Martinez when he was at Everton and just and, and his accent was going a bit uh hybridy <laughs> and he just said like centre-half out of sort of nowhere and it, and it then went viral it was uh, do you think that was something he probably put on it sounds something that maybe something earnest that Roberto Martinez would do uh, Mr R Wormsley who sounds like somebody who should be writing into points of view says the roar from the crowd after a minute silence I think we all agreed that that's, that's just wonderful one. isn't it we don't have one. enough minute silences. It's all a minute's nice. applauses. And moving from a minute's applause into a let's get this game going raw, isn't, that doesn't have the quite same impact, does it? Because, yeah, you're kind of there anyway. <laughs> but, the, but it's it's just that it's that completely acceptable, but also kind of, it's, all, it's an awkward transition, which nobody ever wants. And in this era of Zoom meetings, everybody knows that all too well. But to be able to just do that 
everyone knows you've got to do it and you've got to just get on with the game. It's like we've shown our specs, but we are here for a football match. Let's crack on. Yeah. And it, it is a really nice example, that one. Uh, Charlie, just to twist the knife of a uh, major tournament-less summer, uh, you have a particularly kind of major tournament-y thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is that. This is one of the great pleasures, I think, of when you get, when the, the draw's been made for the World Cup or for the Euros, uh, the groups are set and the fixtures are set and you can look at them all laid out, a kind of day-by-day guide. And normally at the start of tournaments, you can pick out there are one or two days where there are three games you really want to watch and you just think, oh, this is going to be like footballing heaven for, for a few weeks. But yeah, as it's you say, bit- it's uh, tinged with melancholy as we won't have it this year. Sadly, yes. There's a kind of group of death kind of logic you have to apply. Like those three games all have to be absolute bangers in theory on paper. And they have to be laid yeah. out laid out at I mean, really, really convenient times. And you just think, I'm going to watch that from start to finish, including all the build-up and all the all the reaction. And it's just going to be one long drawn-out set of football all day. Yeah, but I don't think it even needs to be banging matches. I think it needs to be three separate teams i really want to watch so if it's like holland okay. brazil and argentina are all playing on the same day to me it doesn't it almost doesn't even matter who they're playing i'm just going to be so excited to see all those teams play actually you're probably right because it can be it can be like an it can include like an incongruous matchup kind of even like brazil yeah exactly versus like bosnia or something like that some like a an established nation versus a newcomer because newcomers are always part of the appeal as well um, but and 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 that precise moment where you're looking at that schedule for a World Cup or Euros is miles better than the fixture list coming out for a s- domestic season, which is it's such an over mythologized moment. Uh, it, oh. it, I, I appreciate that it's that the timing of it is it gets you looking stop looking at the past season and start looking ahead to the new one. But who cares? The fixture <laughs> list does not thrill me. It's not. It's not a point in June where I just go bloody brilliant. The fixture list is. I, and you're right as well. It's the exact opposite because that that World Cup moment of looking through the schedule, you just get that kind of warm feeling, and it it doesn't yeah. necessarily need to take you back to the '90s or the 2000s, but it does. But also, it could be the most recent tournament. I like. I still do it, and it's a really warm feeling. And you yeah. just think this is the best thing. But then when the fixtures are out, all of a sudden it's like, well, we've had six weeks off, and now all I'm reminded of is football fans or journalists or whatever going, oh, well, look, if they play this, then they, they've they then got a Champions League game here and then it's Chelsea away. That and it's just like, can we just, just not do this in the middle of the summer? Like, we're, well, yeah. nobody cares when the season starts anyway. It's difficult, <laughs> fine. But can we just not do this now? This is not this is not a good summer activity. I will allow getting excited for who you're playing on the opening day because you want to visualise it. You want, you, you want to, you, and obviously you want to get off to a good start. But caring about the placing of any of the other 37 fixtures in a Premier League season is not for me. But this isn't about whinging. This is about enjoying Mm -hmm. things. So I'll I'll leave you on this very obscure note from Danny Green. I read road signs with distances to towns like they are football classified results like Long Eaton 1, Nottingham 5, and the away team always seems to win. Isn't that nice? I'm going to start (laughs) doing that. Yeah, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Uh, no, that's absolutely fine. I'm delighted to leave it on an obscure note, and uh, and I'm so pleased that after last week's Wingerthon, we we got onto something more positive and something a bit more, uh, I don't know, joyous. Even if it did get a little bit obscure at some points. Uh, thanks both of you again for joining me, Charlie. Have a lovely day. And you, Sam. Nice to have you. We might even have you back one day. I hope so. I hope I lived up to the to the first one. I'm a bit worried I didn't, but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see what the that. listeners say. It's all about yeah. listeners. <laughs> Okay, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.